I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. In rock and roll, there's nothing more exciting than an unforgettable guitar riff. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. We'll share some of our favorite guitar riffs of all time, and later we'll review the new album from the Doom band, The Obsessed. Plus, we'll pay tribute to the director, Jonathan Demme. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And that is Chuck Berry with Johnny B. Good. A great guitar riff, Greg. A great song about being a guitarist, playing riffs. Pretty good place for us to start our discussion of guitar riffs in rock and roll. Let me define what a riff is, and then uh, you can give us some of the classics to get us rolling. It's not completely limited to rock and roll. There's a term in classical music, ostinato, right, which is a repeated rhythmic phrase, a hook. And of course, the jazz guys throughout the history of jazz were big on riffs that would, in between moments of improvisation, bring you back to a song. There's a classic 1945 Charlie Parker recording called Thriving from a Riff, which may have launched the popularization of that term. But in rock and roll, it's a hook, a musical hook that's repeated several times rhythmically, most often on the guitar. Yeah, Jim, I think it's the part of the song that you can hum in a lot of ways. You you know, people talk about the guitar solo in rock a lot, but you can't hum a solo, or at least in very rare in, only in very rare instances. But a riff is something that sticks with you. It recurs throughout the song in many instances and, and stays with you in the same way that a chorus might. Yeah, it can be a chord pattern or it can be individual notes. So you think about a song like uh, Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit or Tony Iommi's on Black Sabbath's Iron oh, yeah. Man. Or Jack White on the White Stripe Seven Nation Army. Those riffs are integral to how those songs sound and how we remember them. But we're going to stay away, hopefully, from some of the more obvious ones and dig a little deeper, as we like to do on Sound Opinions. Jim, you're going to start us off. What do you got? Greg, for the most part, I think with our picks here, we're going to try to be not so very obvious, but it's it's impossible to talk about guitar riffs and not talk about Led Zeppelin. We have to have one Led Zeppelin selection <laughs> to be certain. Uh, Jimmy Page was a master of the guitar riffs. Most of the hooks in the greatest Led Zeppelin songs come from his riffs. He was just incredibly talented at 
creating guitar hooks. One of my favorites that's a little less heralded than others is The Ocean from Houses of the Holy in 1973. You know, the album before, the untitled fourth album, had Stairway to Heaven, and that gets all the hype. But I actually think Houses of the Holy, Song for Song, is a better record. As a kid struggling to learn how to play drums, I think the song that taught me what a time signature was, was The Ocean. Because there's one bar of 4-4, four, four, so you're counting 8 to the floor, and then a bar of 7-8. What is that? Oh my goodness, right? It's, it, so, so the riff sets the rhythm, and it's got these two different time signatures, and I was like, oh, I can learn how to count, right? And I wasn't even a guitar fan. Plus, it's just catchy as heck. It's just a wonderful, wonderful riff. Listen to what I'm talking about. Led Zeppelin with the ocean on Sound Opinions. that guitar riff from Jimmy Page, The Ocean by Led Zeppelin. You gotta love that. What's your first uh, riff to highlight, Mr. Cott? Well, Jim, I've got to start with ACDC for a number of reasons. You got this great Australian band's first six, seven records, and they are just full of great guitar riffs. There are two great guitarists in this band, the brothers Angus and Malcolm Young. Angus is the guy that gets all the glory. He's the guy strutting around in the schoolboy suit, getting all the solos, playing <laughs> playing to the crowd. Malcolm is the guy hanging back by the speaker stacks. Nobody really notices him, but he is the, uh, the pulse of that band. Some sad news, of course, about uh, Malcolm Young. Uh, for ACDC fans, they've been lamenting this loss for a number of years. In 2014, uh, Malcolm was diagnosed with dementia and is now officially out of the band. But I go back to my original analysis, Jim. The band is Malcolm Young in many ways. 
I think one of the great riff albums of all time is that 1979 ACDC album, Highway to Hell. If I'm going to go back to one ACDC album, it's probably this one. It was the last one with Bon Scott as the lead vocalist, and this is prime ACDC. Robert Mutt Lang was the producer on that record, and he gave a ringing clarity to those riffs. Uh, and you can hear it at the start of the song where Angus begins and then Malcolm comes in and you see these counterpoint riffs going back and forth against each other, creating the sense of tension that continues throughout the song. It's like Serena and Venus Williams playing tennis, those two brothers playing guitar. Oh, absolutely. And it's apparent throughout that album, but I particularly love that interplay on ACDC's Shot Down in Flames from 1979 on Sound Opinions. That is ACDC with Shot Down in Flames, one of the greatest riff songs of all time from 1979. Now we're going to hear from some of our listeners about their picks for great guitar riffs. And first up is Heather in Dover, New Hampshire. Welcome to Sound Opinions, Heather. Thank you so much. All right, give us a great guitar riff. Oh, that's so easy. It's the beginning of Sticky Fingers, Can't You Hear Me Knocking? (laughs) 
the thing that kills me is just it's the intro. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's like this slow, steady layering of sound that just comes in and it just kind of fills up your ears. And between Mick Taylor and Keith Richards and then Charlie Watts with that lazy drum beat that comes in, it just kills me. It's kind of like listening to a six-layer sandwich. <laughs> oh. Heather, my question for you is the awesomeness of Keith Richards. I mean, they call the guy King Riff. How do you choose just one Stone song? That's it, because, you know, the, by definition, a riff is just this, you know, repeated few chords that are played that other people then come in and play over. He nails it, and it's funny. I, I actually went in and read about the recording of that song. It was down in Muscle Shoals. And according to Mick Taylor, you know, they thought that the stereo equipment had been turned off. Hmm. And they just kept playing, and that's when, like, the whole Latin percussion thing came in, and they just caught it all on tape. Keith Richards, he said that, you know, he just started playing that one little riff, and that's where the whole song came from. And if you think about really great songs, a lot of them have that kind of slow introduction. And I went back and looked at some of my favorites, um, like Whipping Post. Of course, that leads in with a bass, but then the the riff comes in on top of that or um, why can't I touch it by the buzzcocks oh yeah I mean, come on yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all right I have, I have a little bit of a music problem I'm kind of a nerd oh it's not a problem <laughs> this is where this is where you can admit the first step you know is listening to sound opinions and admitting you have a problem and we embrace <laughs> you for it thank you Heather thank you for being there for me guys you're welcome <laughs> let's talk to Nathan in Minneapolis Nathan welcome to sound opinions uh, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. Well, thank you very much. Have you got an all-time great guitar riff? Yes, I do. Um, my choice would be the song Who Loves You Better by the Isley Brothers from the 1976 album Harvest for the World. Ernie Isley, an incredible guitarist. You know, as, as we've interviewed him. He's told us how he taught this young kid, Jimmy, how to, how to play a few licks. Right. Hendrix. Right. What do you love about that song in particular? first time I heard it, which, you know, I don't know if it's best known Isley Brothers songs, but the first time I heard it, just the first five or ten seconds, or you know, just set goose pimples on the back of my neck. Mm. And, you know, that's sort of the function, I think, of any good riff is to give you that sort of charge from the very beginning. And I think this is one of those songs, not only does it have a very great riff, but it just has a killer opening few seconds that sort of establishes, yeah, as you said, this great Ernie Isley sort of Hendrix-influenced psychedelic, but still really funky riff. I've long thought that no guitarist anywhere in any genre should be allowed to use the wah-wah pedal, except <laughs> for Ernie Isley. He had that liquid gold sound, right, Nathan? Yeah, he did. I mean, I put him in a class with maybe Hendrix, obviously, and also Eddie Hazel as guys, I think, who I think could master the wah-wah pedal and, and definitely added it as sort of an interesting funk element in a lot of 
music um, and was imitated a lot, I think, in a lot of funk bands in the 70s. Yeah, Eddie yeah. Hazel from Funkadelic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and people may not realize that, uh, you know, we're mentioning Hendrix as an influence on Ernie Isley. The reason Hendrix was such an influence was that he, in fact, toured with the Isley Brothers in the 60s before anybody knew who Hendrix was. And, and the Isley Brothers were kind of in between hits, so it wasn't like their biggest era, but very formative influence on uh, Ernie Isley's playing. And uh, that's a great choice. That's a deep cut, Nathan. I'm glad you're going there instead of something like Who's That Lady, which is a little, probably a little more sure. obvious. Sure. Thank you, Nathan, and thanks for listening to the show. Yes, thank you very much. Um, you know, Greg, I think that there's a raucist bent to the use of guitar, uh, as if only rock bands have used guitar and guitar riffs well. That is absolute nonsense. So for my second pick, right up top here, I'm going to make the point that R&B, funk, and in the disco era, those bands all used guitar incredibly well, often to provide the primary hook of a song, or at least, you know, right up there with the horns. The Ohio Players were a funk R&B band from Ohio, recorded their seventh album here in Chicago, though, and this produced their most famous hit, Love Roller Coaster. What you get is this rhythm guitar riff, right, which is like the roller coaster cart heading up the hill and then it swoops down they're trying to make the comparison between a romantic relationship and roller coaster it has its ups and downs here's the ohio players on sound opinions Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players. What a funky riff, Greg. Later covered by the Red Hot Chili Peppers and a scarcity of credits on their albums, but I know that Leroy Sugarfoot Bonner was one of the guitarists. After a break, we'll continue talking about what we think are the best guitar riffs. Then, later, we're going to review the new record by metal band The Obsessed. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. We are talking about the greatest guitar riffs in rock history, choosing some of our favorites. A riff, I will remind you, is a cluster or sequence of notes or chords that provides the main hook for a song that really drives the tune. Greg, it's your turn for another pick. What do you got? Well, Jim, one of the things I love about a riff is that it can set a song up, especially when it begins a song, and within the first three seconds, you know right away who it is and what the song is. And that, to me, is an iconic guitar riff. And that's what qualifies Prince's Kiss from 1986 as a great guitar riff song. It is Prince himself playing that opening guitar lick. Now, this song has a kind of a checkered history. Prince was working on his Parade album in late 1985 at uh, Paisley Park when a couple of associates from his band, The Revolution, asked him to write a song for a project they were working on called Maserati. You know, he ran into the studio, came up with a little acoustic demo. It was about a minute long. It sounded like a country or blues song, depending on who you talk to. The guys in Maserati, they included David Z and Brown Mark from The Revolution, uh, spent all night reworking the song, and they basically stripped it down into this electric track that included this gated electric guitar sound. Prince gets back in the morning and goes, Man, that sounds pretty good. I think I want to take that song back. (laughs) So Prince starts working on the song, and he comes up with that guitar intro, basically lifting it from uh, Jimmy Nolan, the great guitarist in James Brown's 60s bands. In fact, if you listen to Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, that iconic chicken scratch guitar riff in the middle of that track, that's kind of what Prince was channeling here for the intro to Kiss. So he reclaimed the song, but in a rare bit of benevolence from Prince, he normally takes full credit for most of these things. He did share the production credit with the guys in Maserati, recognizing the work they did. So there's that opening riff and also that gated guitar riff that goes on through the song. So it's a true collaboration. Here's Prince with Kiss on Sound Opinions.
That is one of the all-time great guitar licks by the late, great Prince. We just passed the uh, one-year anniversary of his death, Jim, uh, in 2016. That is Kiss from 1986, one of his greatest songs on Sound Opinions. Jim, what's your next pick? I think that many of the punk bands that exploded in England and the U.S. in 77, 78, wrongly were criticized for not being able to play, especially guitar. And that's just not true. I mean, punk was more stripped down and energetic and focused, simpler perhaps to play than, you know, some of the great Jimmy Page riffs. But there were killer riffs, and the Buzzcocks were masters of very tuneful riffs that could hook you into a song. I'm not going to play a Buzzcocks riff, though. I'm going to play Magazine's debut single, Shot by Both Sides. Howard DeVoto was an early member of the Buzzcocks, along with Pete Shelley, who was the driving force of that band. I think they co-wrote this guitar riff. Both of them were guitarists because it would drive Shot by Both Sides and get credited to both DeVoto and Shelley when Magazine made its debut in 78, after DeVoto left the Buzzcocks. And then the Buzzcocks had a single called Lipstick, which had almost the same but not quite as good a riff that uh, DeVoto got credit on along with Shelley. Anyway, two great minds, two great guitarists, one unforgettable riff. If you've never heard this, the way that it kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and then repeats and builds and builds is way drawn out. And it's got this sense of drama, which is just unbelievable. Shot by both sides from Magazine on Sound Opinions. By both sides with Howard DeVoto on guitar, magazine's first single, one of my favorite guitar riffs. But Greg, we should share the joy and go to the phones to hear from some of our listeners. Yes, uh, we've got Neil from Plano, Texas on the line. Neil, we've got killer guitar riffs on the docket today. What do you got for us? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, How Soon Is Now by The Smiths, that opening riff, and as well as that sort of screaming slide guitar line that goes over top of it. I just love that. Oh, that's great. (laughs) 
We had Johnny Marr on the show, and it was a real treat sitting here with him, Neil. And he told us the story of that song coming together, which was almost completely accidental. And he was he was going for a, he said, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yeah, I think the quote from Marr on our show was Jungle Swamp, which makes a little bit of sense. Fogarty was very influenced by Pop Staples and the Staples singers, with that tremolo and that reverb, that sort of Mississippi thing. And here you've got this guy in England now channeling that. So, you know, you get it. You, you come up with something completely different. Maybe that's why it's so unique. It does have that sort of sense of uh, another world being created. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's a perfect fit for, you know, where they end up going with the lyrics and the song to just that sort of incredible loneliness and looking for some kind of connection, that sort of feeling distant and otherworldly from, from those around you. It's a good fit. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Neil, so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. And what about you listening at home? You can share your favorite riff at the end of next week's episode by calling 888-859-1800. Greg, it's time to wrap up our list. Your turn. Thanks, Jim. Next, I want to go to Slater Kinney. Now, they ended their first incarnation in great style in 2005 with the Woods album, and Kerry Brownstein is one of the great riff masters of that era. The band, of course, returned with the original three members a decade later with a great album, No Cities to Love. But up until that point, uh, The Woods was the album that I thought was uh, was one of their hallmarks. Three-piece band, there's no place to hide when you've got hmm. bass, drums, and guitar. And you've got to carry a big load no matter which instrument you're playing. Carrie Brownstein would often play lead and rhythm guitar on the same song in this band. In the particular track that I'm going to play called Jumpers, they empathize with this person who's being pushed to the brink and eventually sounds like that person is going to commit suicide. But it's not viewed so much as a tragedy as a kind of liberating moment uh, from a life they feel trapped in and hopeless. The guitar riff leaves me in mind of something that's almost triumphant, and yet there's this tragedy that's happening. Uh, So the way Brownstein is able to really elevate the song in that way, I think, uh, stamps this riff as one of her all-time best. This is one of those moments when I'm listening to great rock and roll records that I always return to and point to, like, that moment right there when that song <laughs> hits the button at that point you uh, are a is bit one of, of the great boy. moments. You're yes. a fanboy for Slater Well, Kinney. and this is one of their great songs and one of their great moments. This is Jumpers from Slater Kinney on Sound Opinions. The only substance is the
Slater Kinney with Jumpers from 2005 on Sound Opinions. Carrie Brownstein on guitar. Jim, what do you got next? Well, Greg, you mentioned Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana earlier. Of course, that was the year punk broke, 1991. That riff arguably changed music ever since. But, you know, a couple of years before, in 1988, Mudhoney, the first great Seattle band that everybody thought was going to take over the world, released their debut single, Touch Me, I'm Sick. Two guitarists, Mark Arm and Steve Turner, playing through an electro-harmonics big muff distortion pedal, pushing that riff. It was an incredible, dirty, greasy, violent sound. Kurt Cobain loved it. I remember sitting with Cobain and Chris Novoselic of Nirvana saying, how come in 1988, Touch Me, I'm Sick didn't get there first? And they both said it should have. We, we were killed by that riff when we first heard it. And a great riff it is. Touch Me, I'm Sick by Mud Honey on Sound Opinion. Touch Me, I'm Sick from Mud Honey, one of Jim DeRogatis' great all-time riffs. And I couldn't agree more, Jim. That is a, uh, an iconic one for sure. I got one of, of more recent vintage now. The Song of 2013, Get Lucky, Daft Punk. Mm. And you had mentioned very eloquently how you feel that funk and R&B and soul guitarists uh, deserve their due alongside uh, rock guitarists for creating great riffs. Of course they do. And this is the latest example. In fact... I would put Nile Rodgers' contributions to rock guitar playing, specifically guitar riffing, next to anybody's over the last 30 years. I mean, he has defined funk R&B music for a good part of that period. Working with everybody from Chic, his first great band, I mean, think about Good Times. Classic Chic song, song that has been sampled countless times. That guitar riff, that's Nile Rodgers. You know, first three, four, five seconds of that song, the dance floor is filling up because they know they're in for eight minutes of a great groove. Nile had a great word for it, an easy groove. It's like a river. You think about riffs as foundational elements, but that's, as foundation implies static. It doesn't move. 
with Nile, you get the sense that the riff is moving like a river, and you hear it again with Daft Punk's Get Lucky. I mean, the French robots were, were geniuses in terms of who they wanted to collaborate with, right? They got Pharrell Williams on the lead vocal, but it's the Nile Rodgers guitar riff that defines this song. Daft Punk, Get Lucky on Sound Opinions. Like the legend of the phoenix All ends with beginnings What keeps the planet spinning Ah, the force from the beginning That is Daft Punk with Get Lucky and the great Nile Rodgers guitar riff from 2013 on Sound Opinions. And again, we want to hear from you. We couldn't fit all the best guitar riffs in one single show. What did we miss? And why is the riff so special? Call 888-859-1800. Coming up, we'll review the new album from the underground metal heroes, The Obsessed. Plus, we'll pay tribute to director Jonathan Demme, who used rock music in his films better than almost anyone else. That's coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He is Greg Codd, and we are banging our heads <laughs> to the title track, Sacred, from the new album by The Obsessed. Greg, as soon as you and I saw the first press release saying there would be a new Obsessed album, we were excited, but it's not a name that a lot of people outside the metal underground know, despite the fact that the roots of The Obsessed go all the way back to 1976, yeah. when Scott Wino Weinrich first put the band together in his native Maryland. Not a lot of albums. Uh, four in the entire career of The Obsessed, and the new one, Sacred, is the first in 23 years. I think the best way for people who aren't familiar with uh, Wino, uh, to put it in perspective, is to say there was Lemmy. Lemmy is the Mount Rushmore, all mm. four heads of heavy metal. <laughs> He's gone now. But for many people in the metal underground, uh, Wino is just as important uh, in terms of putting together this melodic but relentlessly driving sound that at various times has been called all of the above. Stoner rock, doom rock, uh, biker rock, you name it. It is just the obsessed. First obsessed album in 23 years. What does it sound like? Let's play a track from Sacred. We'll come back and give our reviews. It is Stranger Things by The Obsessed on Sound Opinions. Stranger Things from the Obsessed, the new album is sacred. It's great to say those words, new Obsessed <laughs> yes. album. Uh, people have been you know, craving one for a long time. People who love metal, people who love wino. Um, and anybody who loves metal loves wino. I think yeah, it, yeah, it, right. it goes hand in hand. He is, uh, you know, this terminology, the, he's a lifer is yeah. overused in many instances. In this case, it is absolutely true. This guy has lived the life. He's got the tats. He's got the bike. Um, he has lived that lifestyle. And he writes about it in very honest terms. He doesn't exaggerate. He's writing about his life. And there's a lot of lows as well as the highs in there. Yeah. He's not celebrating it so much as saying, 
This is what my life as an outsider in America has been like. Um, you know, it's not like that Motley Crue cartoon version of metal. Oh, yeah, this, just, this, just this look, is the real deal. Just look at some of the other song titles. Perseverance of Futility, yeah. right? My Daughter, My Sons, Razor Wire. He's telling us about his life. Absolutely. And what is interesting about this album, Jim, is like it's it's not an attempt to revisit old glories. Like I'm going to make an obsessed album like the one I, ones I made in the 80s. Uh, if he had, it would have sounded really murky and dark and, and doomy. Mm. Uh, define that sound. This has got a cleaner sound. Some people say, wait a minute, it's it's too clean. It's it's well-produced. By far the most well-produced uh, obsessed album. Maybe one of the best-produced uh, albums that Wino has ever worked well, on. Well, that little thing called digital recording happened from the, in between is, our last he, album. And he's using it. But I think what it underlines is the guy writes great melodies as well. Yes. The hooks, the melodies, uh, the psychedelic textures, all of that is a little clearer to hear. Here on this record, and as an introduction to his music, it's not a bad place to start. I mean, there is the crushing, you know, tempos that you would expect, the doomy riffs, you know, as he said, songs like Punk Crusher, Haywire, Cold Blood, Razor Wire. They sort of, you know, telegraph what they're going to be about and how they're going to sound. But what I'm hearing here is a man who has lived a long life already, a hard life. And there's a, a contemplation and a sense of mortality and almost a tenderness, I would say, yeah. on one or two of these tracks. That song, My Daughter, My Son, mm-hmm. what a surprise. this from your typical aging metal band. They'd want to be reliving their 19-year-old glories in many ways. Uh, he's saying, you know, here's my legacy, and, and what does it mean? You know, live your own life, be honest and kind, always speak your mind. These are lessons he's, he's teaching his children now, yeah. and basically saying, I tried to embody this, you go ahead now too and, and, and do the same. I think there's growth here. It's a buy-it record for me. It's absolutely a buy-it record, Greg. Not only is he trying to impart those lessons to his own family, but I think to all of metal in general. To me, two of the strengths of heavy metal always have been, you can be ugly as sin. Mm-hmm. You can be fat, balding, uh, you know, tattoos, hairy, just miserable looking. It doesn't matter, right? And it doesn't matter what age you are so long as you can deliver the goods, right? You know, so much of popular music is a celebration of beauty and youth and superficiality. And my God, at the complete opposite end of the spectrum is wino. (laughs) These songs are as good as any they've produced in the past. I I would disagree with you some about this being super clean. Um, Yeah, I, I guess it is a little less murky than earlier Obsessed records, but at the same time, there's more bottom yeah. than they ever have had because, you know, now the digital, you just capture every grumbling riff. This record uh, makes me happy like a 13-year-old boy <laughs> only can be happy. So it's an enthusiastic double buy it. Greg, that, of course, is the 
Talking Heads, their version of Once in a Lifetime from the incredible concert film Stop Making Sense. Its director, Jonathan Demme, has died at the age of 73. All apologies to Martin Scorsese. It is my contention that no director in Hollywood history has ever used rock and roll better in his films than Jonathan Demme. A huge music fan who was able to incorporate it in his profession in a way that I don't think anybody ever did. Well, I'll tell you this. You may not know, but I grew up reading him. He uh, would would write some rock criticism early on for the New York rocker. Came out of that no-wave New York post-punk underground. Listen to some of his musical accomplishments. Of course, there's Stop Making Sense, one of the greatest concert films of all time. But he did three concert films with Neil Young in the last decade, decade and a half, all of which are every bit as good in Mm -hmm. terms of capturing the intimate uh, nature of musicians uh, communing with each other on stage, making this magic happen. Concert films also for Alejandro Escovedo and Robin Hitchcock. But even the Hollywood films, whether it was a big-budget Oscar contender like Philadelphia, he gets both Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young to contribute material to that, you know, Silence of the Lambs. So many fantastic moments of just the right piece of creepy music, putting the feelies in Married to the Mob and uh, Something Wild, Uh, and many bands like that from that New York art punk scene. I played as a Desert Island jukebox pick. Um, the version that Meryl Streep recorded, a bar band version of her doing American Girl by Tom Petty, which also had been in Silence of the Lambs, in Ricky and the Flesh. We just have to pay tribute to this director whose visions uh, so perfectly combine great music and incredible visuals. I I can't think, though, of one better place to send you than the moment in Rachel Getting Married, kind of one of his underheralded films. It's sad and somber and dark and very intimate, family relations. There's this moment where an a cappella version of Unknown Legend by Neil Young is delivered by Tunde Adebimpe of TV on the radio. Mm -hmm. I mean, how deep a music fan do you have to be to find a moment like that and make it the soul of your movie? In homage to Jonathan Demme, here it is on Sound Opinions. He used to work in a diner Never saw a woman look finer I used to order just to watch her float across the floor She grew up in a small town Never put her roots down Daddy always kept moving, so she did too. You know it ain't easy. You've got to hold on. She was an unknown legend in her time. (laughs) Now she's dressing two kids, looking for a magic kiss. She gets the far away look in her eyes. Somewhere on a desert highway, she rides a Harley Davidson, her long brown hair flying in the wind. She's been running half her life 
The chromic steel she rides, colliding with the very air she breathes. The air she breathes. Do we have some rings? <laughs> Man, is that incredible or what, Greg? Tunde Adebimpe with an acapella version of Unknown Legend by Neil Young from Rachel Getting Married, Jonathan Demme's film. I don't think he ever made a bad one. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have a classic album dissection. And I mean a classic. The Velvet Underground and Nico on the 50th anniversary of its release. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by Brendan Banasak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and Ayana Contreras. Had to phone you, had to phone you just to talk to you. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. It lifts my spirit every single time. Sometimes you're busy for a while. New messages. My name is Denise. I'm calling from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I was, heard you guys' conversation with the drive-by truckers, and I was blown away. Um, I've heard of them before, but I never really listened to their stuff. But despite our best intentions, it pains me to report We keep swinging for the fences, coming up a little short We sure can get it wrong, for someone so devout I hear you whistling past the graveyard, looking down Whistling past the graveyard, looking down I'm from the south as well, uh, grew up in Louisiana and just to see how these guys tackle these controversial topics, it's just, uh, I was impressed and blown away, and I'm actually getting ready to order their album now. Thanks. Bye. I just want to say, you found me a new band to like. I think Drive-By Truckers is, uh, I was laughing at the name every time I heard it until I heard them, and now I'm impressed. They're, they're a great band in terms of the, uh, the integrity and the uh, ability of the two guitar players. And uh, I appreciated the mental space that they were in when during your interview. And uh, thank you very much. Keep it going. Tim and Greg, it's Adam from Minneapolis. I understand we're doing a show on the guitar riff, and I wanted to throw an honorable mention in there. Dope Smoker by Sleep. Heavy metal riff. Just great.
just great. Saw them live the other day, and I probably will never see them again. So I just it's been resonating with me, and I just wanted to throw that in there for the record. Thanks for the show, guys. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Rick Neva. I'm calling from Mooresville, North Carolina. wanted to comment about your show, about the iconic guitar riffs. I uh, hope I'm not being redundant here in suggesting Mick Ronson. I don't know how anybody can come up with more iconic guitar riffs than he did in a three-year period between the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and Diamond Dogs. Three albums in three years. He came up with the Gene Genie, Ziggy Stardust, Suffragette City, Rebel Rebel, Panic in Detroit, Cracked Actor, and my favorite, Moon Age Daydream. ton of guitarists who don't come up with that many iconic guitar riffs in a career, much less than three years, so that's just a staggering achievement. Take care, and I'll keep listening. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.